my name is Adam Rentis. I'm the uh, student ministries pastor, and it is. It's National Youth Pastor Preach Sunday. It's the day where typically um, the pastor comes to the youth pastor, like October, November, and says, hey, we just want you to know, young youth pastor, uh, we believe in you, and we have seen a lot of growth in you, and so much so that we want to actually, we want you to preach on a Sunday morning to the whole church. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. And so, and then the senior pastor says, and it's going to be on uh, December 31st. Uh, it's going to be the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I'm going to be cheering you on, says the senior pastor, from a, I'll watch online from a beach somewhere. And, um, and so, um, and now that's not the case here. Uh, just to clarify, that's not, uh, Pastor David did come in October, which is awesome. Um, but it's, um, I'm thankful for a church who believes in its leaders, uh, believes in the people of the church. And so I'm privileged to not only speak to you on a youth pastor preach Sunday. In fact, the last few Sundays, I think Pastor Bill has preached on youth pastor Sunday. So um, it's a joy to bring the word to you this morning, and uh, I would invite you to, uh, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning, Judges chapter 3. <laughs> As I was thinking through, again, David told me early on, I was like, what's the most youth pastor message I could deliver on, on Youth Pastor Preach Sunday? And I, I'm not kidding. There literally are, like within the Church of God alone, uh, I started sending messages last night. There are 20 plus youth pastors who are preaching uh, that, that are, are friends of mine within the Church of God movement, and they're all preaching this morning too. So last night we were exchanging notes, say hey, who's got a message because I forgot to prepare. Uh, no, that's, that wasn't the case. But uh, So I'm excited just as youth pastors around the country are, are sharing the word. Uh, but I was thinking, what's the most youth pastor message I could, um, I could present to you? And it happens to be my favorite story in Scripture. So it comes from Judges chapter 3. Some of you are smiling because you know the story, and you're like, this is going to be weird. Um, and some of you are like, I should have brought my Bible. And, um, and that's okay. It'll be on the screen, but you can, um, you can follow along. But Judges chapter 3, a little bit of background of what's going on here. <laughs> the Israelites find themselves in this uh, this downward spiral of disobedience and continual sin. Uh, and so because of that, because of their disobedience to God and, and disobeying his commandments, they find themselves reaping the consequences of that disobedience. And so they, as God's chosen people, have um, been subject to the rule of foreign kings over a period of time. That's kind of the synopsis of the book of Judges. You could begin each chapter to kind of, each section kind of starts the same way. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and so they had this consequence. And so the Israelites find themselves coming out of a period of 40 years where they had been at peace. Um, prior to that, they had been, um, they'd been under the rule of a foreign king and Othiniel was raised up to deliver them. And so they've experienced this peace and things have been great. And now all of a sudden we pick up with our text as to where we are um, in Judges chapter 3 beginning in verse 12. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I told you, they all kind of start that way. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He, Eglon, gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and he went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years." Now, if you're under 18 years old, that's a long time. If you're over 18 years old, that's a long time. 18 years to be subject to the rule of a foreign king is a very long time. 
And I imagine as a young person growing up in that time, because people are still, you know, they're still having children, but can you imagine being an Israelite, a young Israelite, and you hear the stories of how God has provided for your people over the years, yet here you have experienced nothing but the rule of a foreign king. For 18 years, they've been subject to Eglon. And so as they, they find themselves in this situation, the truth is that Israel's sin is what brought them into this bondage. It wasn't necessarily that King Eglon was just that powerful, because we have seen God move more mightily than uh, like against smaller size armies, but, and, and even larger size armies. But Israel's sin is what brought them into bondage. They had suffered eight years of bondage before they cried out to the Lord for Athenial to raise up for them. And now here they are, um, after 40 years of freedom, they find themselves for 18 years, 18 long years, they are in bondage before they finally cried out to the Lord. But sin always brings about bondage. Sin always brings about bondage, it, and sometimes it can come to us decept, uh, dis, like deceitfully or deceptively. Uh, I like to fish, uh, and when you're fishing, sometimes you will you'll put, a, a, you'll put something on the hook and just lower it down, and the fish, the fish doesn't contemplate the bondage of the hook when it goes after the bait. Satan snares us by making the bait attractive and often hiding the hook, but sin always brings bondage. And it often takes years, many years of bondage and calamity before man will take the time to look away from himself and look unto God. And this time for the Israelites, it took 18 years. And they finally cry out to God in verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. <clears throat> and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, I want to take a few moments just to point out the, uh, some, the, the details in this verse. There's a lot of details. So here we have Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Benjamin, uh, so being a son of Benjamin, uh, Benjamin or Benjaminite means um, God would refer to as son of my right hand. So son of God's right hand. So here we have Ehud, who is a left-handed son of God's right hand. Now, the Israelites would look at someone who is left, before I say this, is there anybody in here who is left-handed? Anybody? Okay. And, and did you notice that the people who are left-handed, they raise their left hand to signify that they're left-handed? <laughs> Nobody ever says, like, are you left-handed? Yeah. Wait, that, then you know it's an imposter. Or they're a switch hitter in the major leagues and they're making a lot of money. But um, so left-handedness has changed in our culture today. There's entire stores for you and you can, like, left-handed scissors and things and you just cut in a circle. So... But in this culture, I don't know that that's true. Um, in this culture, um, left-handed people, in, Israel, in, in the eyes of an Israelite, being left-handed was regarded as a physical defect. I'm not saying that's true today. Um, in the ancient world, left people were often forced to become right-handed. And so it's interesting that here we find Ehud, a left-handed son of God's right hand, in the midst of a culture who looks down on people who are left-handed, in the midst of a culture who actually will force someone who is naturally left-handed to convert to being right-handed. Ehud, the thing that stands out about him is the fact that he is still, through all these years, he is still left-handed. He's selected to be the courier. He's selected to be the, the point person to carry the tribute to the king. 
Now, they've done this for years. And we don't know if they just took a tribute once a year, if they took it once a quarter. We don't know how they paid their taxes. But they know that they had to pay this tribute as they were subject to this foreign king. And the reality is, it probably didn't take multiple people to carry it. But oftentimes what they would do is they would, uh, they would make a long train of people carrying. Now, what one, maybe one or two people could carry, they would have five to ten people carrying. It's like some of you who wrap the really small gift inside a, a bigger box, and then a bigger box, and then a bigger box. This, any of you do that? And so, but they made it look much, lo- much of a larger procession than it needed to be. But Ehud was selected to be the chairperson or the, the head courier and carrying this tribute to them. So here we have this guy who's viewed by others as being less than, being selected to present their tribute to this foreign ruler, but that is not what God sees. God sees someone with a unique ability that he can use to deliver his people from the the oppression of Eglon, the king of Moab. And the thing that culture saw as a flaw, God saw as a perfect way to fulfill his plan. And then notice what happens in verse 16. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. Again, I want to point out the detail. So in case you're not accustomed to measuring in cubits, um, a cubit is 18 inches. And so he makes, Ehud makes this sword. It's a double-edged sword, and the blade is 18 inches. Not like, hey, I went fishing and caught an 18-incher, but an actual like 18-inch sword. And notice the detail of what it says. He took this sword and he did what? He attached it to his right thigh. Again, I want to point out the detail and why that is important. He attached it to the right, his right thigh under his clothes. In this time, people would, when transporting things, and if you were going into battle under your garments, you would take your weapon and you would attach it to your left thigh. Again, the majority of culture being right-handed If you were in a battle, you found yourself in a situation, someone would take their right hand and they would reach to their left thigh and they would pull and in a defensive manner across their body, they would pull that sword out so they were ready to defend themselves while also attack. But notice a detail of what we are told about Ehud. It says that he takes that sword and he attaches it to his right thigh. That'll be a detail that we'll come back to in a moment. But on the opposite thigh of that, most people attaching a weapon to their left thigh, on the opposite thigh would be if you had a message for someone, if you were a courier, if you were carrying something, that went on your right thigh. Again, important details as we continue through this story. Verse 17, and he, Ehud, presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. All right, thank you. All right, see, see, this is the most youth pastor story I could find. I just think it's amazing. I'm just, I love this. I'm like, all this detail stuff, left-handed things and fat kings, this is great. Uh, and it only goes more from here. Um, now, historians have, have told us that you're like, well, just how fat was this king, Adam? Um, historians tell us that King Eglon weighed somewhere between, you ready? He weighed somewhere between 1,200 and 1,400 pounds. That's a whole lot of king. That's a, that's a big dude, right? And um, recently, archaeologists discovered this artist's rendering of King Eglon. Do you guys want to see it? It's pretty cool. Check this out. Oh, that's the wrong slide. I'm sorry. No. Uh, okay, in case you're not a Star Wars fan, that's Jabba the Hutt, not King Eglon. I think they're distant cousins. I don't know. Um, that's disrespectful. I'm sorry. So we'll just t- take that off there before David tunes in. So... <laughs> All right. Um, 
So, but King Eglon was a very fat king. And so, <laughs> here's Ehud. He presents the tribute to him. And so Ehud and the couriers, they are there. They find themselves with the task of delivering this tribute to the king. And the Bible tells us that, again, King Eglon was a very fat man, but he was also, not just because of his size, but he was an intimidating king who had ruled the Israelites for 18 years. Oftentimes, the couriers would be younger people. And so these, most likely, these couriers had not experienced life aside from or apart from the oppressive king Eglon. And so many taxes and tributes had been presented over the years, but today was about to be different. Verse 18, when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself, he turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, the king commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message for you from God. I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Now, this is just a side note. This is just the way my mind works. Um, When it says, and he arose from his seat, I'm like, if we could, a few moments later, like it probably took some time for the king to get everything going in the direction to stand up. But here we have, so there's, you're in the same mind space as me. But here we have Eglon the king. He's standing there. He stands up, and it's just he and Ehud in the king's private chamber. He has a private audience. Now, you may be asking, well, how in the world is that possible? There's no way that the king's secret service would allow this man to have, like he's carrying an 18-inch sword on his thigh. Again, I point you to the detail. He's not carrying it on this thigh. He's carrying it on this thigh. And so they would, have, they would have checked his left thigh looking for uh, a sword. But what was on that thigh? It was a message, maybe. We're going to find out in a moment. And here's what it says in verse 21. And Ehud reached with his left hand, and he took the sword from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. And the hilt, which is the handle and the, the flat part at the bottom of the blade, the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not pull the sword out of his belly and the dung came out. <coughs> okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's the, you're, some of you are like flipping open in your Bible now. You're like, I will follow along now. Because that, what did he just say? All right. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Now, you may be thinking, okay, this is completely disturbing. This is very disgusting. You're right. It's, it is. I'm sorry. Uh, and again, but if you're reading, not just on the screen, because I could literally, you realize I could type whatever I wanted up there and make you think. And so this is another reason for you to bring your Bible to church. David doesn't do that. I didn't do it today. But it's important that you're reading from the Scripture. So if you didn't bring your Bible today, again, we are in Judges chapter 3, starting verse 12. So when you go home, you're going to want to look this up. I know, at least a couple of you. And then you should volunteer in youth ministry because it's amazing. So, all right. So, but again, you're wondering, how did he get there in front of the king? Again, God had orchestrated all of this. His, his perceived, Ehud's perceived imperfection was used by God to carry out his perfect plan. He was this left-handed son of God's right hand, and he's the instrument for delivering God's people. The story continues in verse 24. When he had gone, the servants, when Ehud had gone, (coughs) the servants came, 
And when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely our king, he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. Just set that scene for a moment. But when they, he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and they opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine this? You know, they think their king is going to the bathroom and they're like, okay, we should just, now again, I don't know, like again, we read just a few minutes ago, like the sword went in and the dung came out. So maybe the reason they thought he was going to the bathroom is because it smelled like he did. Uh, I don't know, but, but they're standing there and they're waiting and they're like, okay, wow. Um, for this reason, I think, again, because he was, this, is, this is Adam supposing things, I'm going to be really careful to insert that just for me. I think the tribute was not only just money. I think it had some food. I think it had some burgers, some pie. Uh, some other, I mean, he's a big king, and then he's, he's, now he's going to the bathroom. So, I mean, like, I think that was involved. Sorry, that's just this is how my mind works. Um, but here, they're standing there. They're waiting outside the doors, and they're finally, like, they're embarrassed. They're like, this is ridiculous. Like, how, this is going on forever. So they finally, they unlock the doors, and there their king is dead on the floor. And then it wraps up in this next few moments, in the next few verses, starting in 26. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sirah. And when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. He was their leader. Remember a few moments ago, he was their courier. He was looked down on. He was the outcast. Now he was their leader. And he said to them, verse 28, follow after me for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. He does say, follow me, but notice what he says. He doesn't say, follow me because I just slayed the king. He says, follow me because the Lord has done this. He has given the enemy into our hand. And so they went down after him and they seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and they did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. So here we have, we have Ehud and King Eglon. It's not a Bible story you probably learned in Sunday school. That'd be tra traumatizing. Um, or in VBS, but it teaches us some very valuable lessons. So I want to take just a, a couple of moments, and uh, there's two main points that I want to point out to us this morning. Uh, the first is this. Freedom begins with surrender. Freedom begins with surrender. For 18 years, the Israelites were under the oppressive authority of this fat foreign ruler, King Eglon. Their deliverance took place once they cried out to God. <clears throat> we just sang about that this morning. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. Our situation, it's, it's different. I understand. I hope you understand that too. But you and I are still in need of freedom. Not freedom from the bondage imposed by a foreign king, but we are in need of freedom from the bondage imposed by the sin in our lives. And there's a moment in our lives, hopefully, that you have confessed your sin. You have, you have received the Lord as, as your Savior. You have said, you know, the Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. And so when we confess our sin, he enters into our lives and we live as followers of Jesus. He is the Lord of our lives. <clears throat> but that's not it. That's not the one time like I, I said a prayer one time and I'm good. There is sin in our lives, I'm guessing. There's, I'll say it this way. There's sin in my life. 
that still needs to be removed. There are things in my life that still have a stronghold. And I need the, the power of the Lord to come and set me free from that, to free me from the bondage of that sin. True freedom from struggles and sins and shortcomings begins with surrendering your entire life, your entire life to God. Freedom begins with surrender. The second thing we can learn from this actually comes from King Eglon. For Eglon, when the sword went in, <clears throat> the ESV says the, the dung came out. But the King James Version says, when the sword went in, the dirt came out. Now, I realize before I get there, you're probably thinking, I'm definitely never going to forget that, or I desperately want to forget that. Thanks for that image. But the second thing that I want us to remember this morning is when the sword goes in, the dirt comes out. When the sword goes in, the dirt comes out. Many of you may be familiar when the Apostle Paul, he's teaching the church in Ephesus, he's writing this letter and he's saying, he's talking about the full armor of God. And he's talking about how we need to clothe ourselves to put on the full armor of God. There's one piece of offensive weapon that's part of that armor, armor and that is referred to as the sword of the spirit. That is the word of God. That's the one offensive weapon we have in the armor of God. It's the sword of the spirit. And friends, when we take the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and we apply it to our lives, and we allow the sword to permeate into our heart to, to, to point out the things that need to be fixed, the sword goes in and the dirt comes out. The things that have, have latched on, the struggles, the difficulties, the, the, the secret sins that we think nobody knows about, and they may not actually know about them, but God knows about them, and he wants to set you free from the bondage of that sin. The sword goes in and the dirt comes out. So are you struggling with a specific sin? Are you tired of feeling defeated and discouraged? One of my very first questions to you would be, are you reading the word? Are you reading the word? And I don't mean to like oversimplify things, but the reality is this, whatever the sin is that you are struggling to defeat on your own strength, there is power in the word of God to break every stronghold, to break every chain of addiction and to truly set us free. The sword goes in and the dirt comes out. When I was 16 years old, <laughs> I realized this morning um, I hadn't shared this story with, uh, with First Church before. When I was 16 years old, uh, I was playing basketball, and our team was horrible. Like, we were worse than, maybe not as bad as the Pistons, but we were bad, okay? We were horrible. And our team, everybody on our team fouled out except for three of us. I was one of the three who didn't foul out. And um, I'm, I'm the big guy, I'm playing center, but now because there's three of us, I'm helping run the ball down the court. Um, I literally, on the basketball court, I collapsed on the basketball court. Uh, in case you're, I didn't die. Some of you are like, what happened? Uh, I didn't die, it was close. <laughs> um, the next day, I still couldn't catch my breath, so my mom took me to the doctor, and we get there, and the doctor says something along the lines of, well, you know he has a, a heart murmur, right? We're like, no, what? And somehow through all the sports physicals from all the, all the, over the years, this heart murmur had been missed. And the doctor looked at my mom and I in the face. He said, you're lucky to be alive. Uh, there have been many athletes over the years who have had this same condition, uh, aortic regurgitation and stenosis. Sounds really gross, but basically the valve didn't open or close all the way. And um, other athletes who have had that have literally collapsed on the court and died instantly. So I'm thankful to still be alive. So they scheduled open heart surgery. 
And uh, shortly after that, uh, I'm on the table and the doctor comes in and performs uh, a, a surgery, replaces my aortic valve. I've got a big scar here. I make a ticking noise. If we're really close, not like proximity, you can probably hear it. it's not a watch. Um, but don't, just, just don't walk up to me, like start and put your head on my chest. Like, like pray for me. And then don't do that. That's just weird. But um, we, we'll see how it gets there. Um, I tell you that to say this. We use one word called sword where the Bible used multiple words to describe sword. And one of the words that the Bible used to describe sword is an 18-inch dagger, a double-edged sword, and we, we translated the word sword. I'm really glad that my doctor didn't use Ehud's sword to carve out my aortic valve. That would have been bad. But the other word that's translated in our language sword is that of a surgeon's scalpel. And so when the sword of the Spirit comes into our lives, sometimes there is massive sin that needs to be easily cut away. It's easily identifiable. It's, you could use the 18-inch dagger if you needed. Hey, this definitely needs to be cut out. But sometimes what we need is what the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter, 12, uh, excuse me, chapter, chapter 4, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. There it is piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The things that are tucked away in our lives. Many of you, I know, I know as, as Jake said, I know many of your stories. Many of you, you've grown up in church. Your, your family has brought you to church. You are a follower of Jesus. Even followers of Jesus, we have the tendency and the capability of tucking away and hiding or attempting to hide sins in our lives. I would say to you, that's not how God has designed it to be. He desires for the, the word of God being living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword to get in, to permeate, to, to be able to say, hey, this little thing right here, what the doctor did when he replaced my aortic valve, he was able to say, this part, this is causing some problems. We need to get this out of here and we need to replace that. The sin in your life God is your loving father. He looks at the same thing and he says, this little sin in your life, hey, this is causing some problem. We need to get that out of here. And he desires by the power of his word to remove that. As we wrap up 2023 and we enter into a new year, <coughs> I want to leave you with a challenge. And it's very simple. As Pastor Dave would say, it's like it's low-hanging fruit, it's cookies on the bottom shelf, it's whatever you want. It's, it's like very, very simple. But it's this. Read your Bible and pray every single day. Read your Bible and pray every single day. And do both of those. Read your Bible and pray. And now I'm not telling you how much or for how long, just that you should read your Bible and pray every single day. If you're at zero right now, just move the knob to one. Start with something. If you're already reading 10, hey, find 11 on the amp and crank it up a little bit. This next year, and I didn't realize this rhymed until I said it in the first service, but desire more in 2024. As you enter into a, a, your, the, the next year in your relationship with Jesus, desire more. Want to be deeper in your relationship with him. 
And so if you're not sure where to start, if you're, if you're here and you're like, hey, I'm not, I'm not currently reading my Bible, a great place to start would be in the Gospel of John. Um, you could also start anywhere, because God, I believe, will speak to you anywhere. There is no, you can start at the beginning, um, but you can also, you can flip around a little bit and find some incredible truth throughout the entire thing. If you're looking for a, a daily devotional resource, um, come see me afterward. I'd love to point you to some different options and things that are out there. Uh, whether you're just starting out or you've been at this for a long time, there are guys in the Bible study that I'm a part of. There's one guy who does a daily reading plan. He reads through the Bible in a year, and he does it every year, and that's awesome. And so, but find whatever it is. There have been seasons in my life where I set out to read. Uh, someone told me this. Uh, when, you, when you're starting out reading, sit down, open the Bible, pray, ask the Lord to speak to you, and then start reading. And then they said this, and when God starts speaking, stop reading. Okay, don't just keep tuning it out. What is God saying to you in that moment? There was a season of life where I couldn't get past one verse, and that verse was saying, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all believers. I spent about two, three weeks on that passage because God was trying to help me get over some relational things at a, at a workplace, as far as it depends on me. So don't set out to have to read through a verse or, or an entire chapter or an entire book in a day. Allow God to speak to you, and when he does, make a note of it, write it down, and start to put into practice what it is that he is saying. If you're not sure what to pray for, start with praying for your family. Start with praying for your church. Start with praying for your community. If you're still looking for something else to pray for, my name is spelled A-D-A-M. You can pray for me. You can pray for the student ministry here. But there are multiple things that we can be praying for. And so the, the point is this. Read your Bible and pray every single day. We're going to continue to worship this morning. Uh, and as we do, I just want to remind you, not of the imagery of the story that we read, that's not what I want you to leave here with. I want you to leave here with the idea that when we take and we apply the sword of the Spirit to our lives, when we say, God, I want to, as I read this, I want you to speak to my life. When the sword comes in, the dirt comes out. Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you have given us the privilege to gather and worship you corporately. And Father, I pray that the truth of your word would just, it would hit home. <clears throat> Father, be it something that I said or something you said through whether your spirit or something else on the pages. God, I pray that we have experienced your presence and that we will live differently because of that experience. Father, we thank you for the things that happened in 2023. The things, the, even the difficult things, Father, in a, in a way, we, we thank you for those because they helped to make us stronger. But we thank you also for the many glorious things that took place. We think and look back as a church, we think of the, the laundry hub taking place and getting ready to open. We think of um, the launch of a fourth campus. But beyond those things, Father, I thank you for the, the numerous stories of lives that have been transformed by your presence. The ministry locations are great, but the ministry you do in the lives of your people, the fact that we get a front row seat to watch that, Father, may we desire more of that this coming year, seeing you at work in, in our own lives, but in the lives of the people around us. And may we bear the fruit of living connected to you, living a life surrendered to you. And may it be reflective of the fact that your word is a part of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.